I'm Katherine Spearing, and this is Uncertain. Were you aware that January is Spiritual Abuse Awareness Month? If you are interested in helping raise awareness on spiritual abuse, a great way to do that is to simply follow the hashtag Spiritual Abuse or Spiritual Abuse Awareness Month and reshare content that creators are already making as the month kicks off. You can also hang out with us here on the podcast and reshare Uncertain Podcast episodes, as all of our episodes in January will have a connection to spiritual abuse. Tears of Eden, a nonprofit supporting survivors of spiritual abuse from evangelical communities and home of the Uncertain Podcast, is hosting its first in-person retreat con October 20th through 22nd. This retreat con will have the intimacy of a retreat with the intentionality of a conference. In partnership with the I Got Out movement, the Retreat Con will feature a special event, Story Slam, highlighting survivor stories live and in person. Early registration opens at the end of January, so follow at Uncertain Podcast on Instagram or join the mailing list at tearsofeden.org to be the first to sign up. Today's guest is Jenny Barker. Y'all, I love talking to Jenny Barker. Her humility, her vulnerability, her honesty, and her sense of humor make her such an enjoyable person to talk to on a daily basis and especially to interview on a podcast. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Jenny Barker is a realtor who lives in the mountains of Western North Carolina with her long-suffering husband and business partner, Matt. They have four amazing adult children and one extroverted and energetic granddaughter, Jenny has a passion for the intersection of mental health and faith, and is particularly vocal about the abuse of power and its various manifestations. If she had it her way, she would spend her days as a storm chaser. She occasionally blogs her thoughts and experiences at Cheetos for breakfast. I've been very excited to talk to you about this one. This is this is what I've been wanting to do. Okay. You brought it up. It was okay. It's your fault. It's so. all my fault. And <laughs> like I said, I I am not an expert on this. I just have ex- experience and opinions. <laughs> no, and I think what's important is the fact that you are someone who has raised this and even brought it up and and you're even willing to talk about it. And I think the last episode that we did together I mentioned the same thing of like folks in my parents' generation, no one's talking about it. It's like, oh, we did the best we could. And that's just kind of the attitude towards it. And so many of my peers are just like wanting their parents to just admit we made a mistake. Like we didn't do this right. Whether it was because Dobson told them to do it or not, just like, acknowledge that this may have caused some damage but I love the 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 perspective that you have to which I had never heard before but 100% believe that the teaching sort of set parents up to spiritually abuse their children but then the teaching itself was spiritually abusive towards parents absolutely very shaming and was causing the same damage to the parents that the parents were then inflicting on their kids in the name of God, in the yes. name of being a godly parent. So that's that's where we're that's where we will kick it off. What I'm seeing is the fallout of that is 
is so heartbreaking in so many ways. I have heard from so many younger adults that were raised with this ideology that are, are, you know, they were like, I just wish I could talk to my parents about this. I just wish that we could, we could have these conversations, but I was reading recently about, and I can't remember which book I was reading it in. I'm, I'm reading several books right now, kind of on this topic, but kind of likening it to a cult where in cults, you often, the parents become almost just like a middle manager and they are the ones kind of responsible to make the kids get in line with the cult. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the strange thing is, I don't know if you remember a couple of years ago, Kevin DeYoung put out that article basically saying in order to win the culture wars, Christian families should have lots of kids. Mm, he goes on to say, perhaps even more than you think you can handle. Mm, and there's guy get published. There's <laughs> so many issues on so many fronts with that. From the I'm sorry, but my children are not pawns in your war. Exactly. They are. They are not on this planet for that. And but also. What does that do to these parents? Oh, you know, you've got to be doing this. You've got to be having these huge families. The the stress, the mental, emotional, physical stress that that puts on women having Mm -hmm. six, eight, 10, 12 kids. Mm -hmm. And then the kids that are growing up in that, I I would dare say that you're not going to end up with a dozen little soldiers in your culture wars army because it's just not that's not the outcome that's not what's happening you know it's interesting i i'm part of a facebook group that has i think now about six thousand members but a lot of people in various stages of of deconstruction and just kind of questioning a lot of the things that are being put out as as evangelical, a lot of that culture. And so I basically put out there, hey, this is kind of what I'm thinking that that a lot of what passes for Christian parenting is not only abusive to the kids, but it's actually also abusive to the parents. And, and the response I got was amazing from that. Wow. Was it, and, was it like parents or was it parents and then people who've been raised in that it was both I would say probably two-thirds were coming from the kids that had been raised in that and what was interesting was how many of them said their deconstruction started when they started having their own children And they were like, there is no way I am going to put my kids through what my parents put me through. Right. They weren't having, they didn't have a positive experience. And, but at the same time, 
the very rigid way that they had been raised was so hogtied to who God was that it's impossible to, you know, they're, oh, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Well, when you have raised your child to believe that if your child disobeys you, they're disobeying God and their soul is in peril. Mm-hmm. How can you not? I mean, it's almost impossible to to not have that so tangled up that you you have to step back. Yeah. And I I see just a lot of that happening mm-hmm. right now. And the reality being that the the guarantees that were out there didn't didn't come through either the if you follow things this way your kids will be like this I probably know more people who are like I don't ever want to do that to my child yeah I know more more kids coming out of rigid environments rigid homeschool environments that that struggle with addictions that just as many of them are you know dealing with same-sex attraction coming out as Mm-hmm. Okay, you know, it's like, okay, so all the things that you did to try to guarantee that you could control the outcome, they didn't work. And and then like the a third of the responses I got were from parents who said, I regret so much. Oof. And you know, it is it is heartbreaking because sometimes it was so much that 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 rift is is sometimes so big you and know, irreparable. You can hope that at some point the parents who actually have those regrets will then seek to repair, right? You know, and I I know I mentioned last in the last podcast we had that you know I have. A, I'm regularly going to our kids saying, I am so sorry. Mm-hmm. You know, it, and, you know, every so often I just get a wave of, oh my gosh, they were brought up doing this. And, and we, I mean, compared to the people around us, we were considered the permissive parents. <laughs> right. Right. You know, it's, it's all relative. It's all relative. You were being judged for not towing the line with this, this teaching. What would you say would be a sign of how the spiritual abuse impacts the parents? Or maybe a better way to ask the question would be, how might a parent know that teaching that they're receiving is spiritually abusive? What would be signs of that? Well, I'll tell you, you know, like I said, I've been kind of thinking about this whole thing and and I was not really sure what direction this should go. And then two days ago, I was flipping through Instagram and came upon a little video clip that just blew me out of the water. And it's like, that's it. And it's a guy by the name of Russell Barkley, who's, I don't know if he's a psychiatrist or psychologist, but anyway, here's the, I I transcribed it so I can read it to you. What we have learned in the past 20 years of research in neuroimaging, behavior genetics, developmental psychology, neuropsychology, 
can be boiled down to this phrase, your child is born with more than 400 psychological traits that will emerge as they mature and they have nothing to do with you. So the idea that you're going to engineer personalities and IQ and academic achievement skills, and I would throw in all those other biblical traits that we're supposed to be constantly forming in our kids, and all those other things just isn't true. Your child is not a blank slate on which you get to write. The better view is that your child is a genetic mosaic of your extended family, which means this is a unique combination of the traits that run in your family line. I like the shepherd view. You are a shepherd. You don't design the sheep. The engineering view makes you responsible for everything, everything that goes right and everything that goes wrong. This is why parents come to us with so much guilt, more guilt than we've ever seen in prior generations, because parents today believe it is all about them and what they do. And if they don't get it right or if their child has a disability, they've done something wrong. When in fact, the opposite is true. This has nothing to do with your particular brand of parenting. So I would rather you stop thinking of yourself as an engineer and step back and say, I am a shepherd to a unique individual. Shepherds are powerful people. They pick the pastures in which the sheep will graze and develop and grow. They determine whether they are appropriately nourished. They determine whether they are protected from harm. The environment is important, but it doesn't design the sheep. No shepherd is going to turn a sheep into a dog. Mm. I was noticing as you were reading that, when you were reading the description of the engineer, I could feel my body just sort of like contracting yeah. and like remembering the fear and the anxiety of the world that I grew up in. And then when you're reading the shepherd and I've heard it also called stewards, like you're a steward for a certain amount of time. And then, and then it's out of your hands. Like there's nothing, there's nothing left for you to do. That was, that was just so much more expansive. And it was just like, whew, like it's not all on the shoulders of the parents. And I would say that that answers that question of what makes it spiritually abusive is when it, that weight of responsibility for the entire outcome of your child. And then I would say child, teen, adult, like yes. they continue most of the time to remain responsible for everything, even if the the adult child is out of the house, that is where that, that spiritual abuse element comes in when it, when the parent is bearing the full weight of responsibility for this child, which is so weird and counterintuitive to, <laughs> it's like two messages are being taught in the church at the same time. Like God is sovereign. God is in control. Oh, but you are 100% responsible for the outcome 
of your children. And that is the most important role that you will ever have in your entire life. And if you fail at this, then you've failed at Christianity and you fail. The at- hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. Right. Right. Which came out of a, a, a Christian culture, a Christian cultural mindset. But yeah. And I just think as you were reading that, I was just thinking of my, my own parents and my, my own parents and my own experiences, a very extreme version of what can happen with this type of teaching. But that whole idea of like your like blank slate and you get to write like the story that you want on to your child. A lot of my father's parenting came out of his own fear and insecurity and trying to create this like kingdom dominion with his children to boost himself up and to give himself this, this, you know, I am this amazing parent. And, and, and then which led to him reacting so strongly, if anything fell outside of this image that he was trying to create. It's funny because I, I tend to push back, you know, within, especially within the reformed world, there's this whole thing about idols of the heart everything's an idol and and i yes i on an aside i will push back a lot on some of that because so many things have been labeled as idols that are not idols but i think it's interesting is that the culture raises up their own idols and one of those idols is the idol of parenthood and and that being being a good parent is the and, and a good parent by that definition is kind of the pinnacle of pleasing God. Mm-hmm. And so the, the children's performance determines not only the children's position with God, but the parents position with God. I, I, I've, if you, if you're around people who, who tell you that, if you do it right, then this will be the outcome. To me, that's a sign of of spiritual abuse. We we yeah. had that in a Sunday school class that that I was in once, probably twelve years ago or so. And the guy teaching it basically said, "If you do it right when they're eight, then you won't have any trouble with them as teenagers." But if you're having trouble with your 14 year old, it's because you you didn't do it right when they were eight. And I'm like, so many problems with that statement. So many problems with that. And I I mean, I was so angry and yet so crushed by that because we were having a lot of issues at that point. So shaming. And, you know, the whole, you know, the whole church knew that, yes, my unmarried daughter was pregnant and you know i i felt the weight of her decisions i mean we my husband was was pulled aside at one point and confronted that he needed to repent of whatever it had caught he had whatever we had done that caused her to make the decision she did whoa and we were like that's it we don't know what we did. That was the thing. And we were so terrified at that point. Yeah. That we couldn't parent the younger kids because we didn't know what we'd done wrong. And that is the spiritual abuse right there. 
just yes. to like shame your husband for an outcome completely beyond his control. And that statement that that Sunday school teacher, whatever, just said, like you said earlier, that if someone is saying in the name of God, that if you do this, then you are assured this XYZ outcome that is spiritual abuse. Mm -hmm. And then to approach someone and say that this, you know, and I remember my parents doing that all the time, whenever we saw someone who like got a divorce or was diagnosed with bipolar disorder or, you know, had miscarriages, they would try to diagnose the decisions that those people made that led to this thing happening and the unrepentant sin that was there that caused this thing to happen and how, oh, it was just so fear-based. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, so much of it also is just in the language that people use around raising children. You know, a guy, a, a kid can't have a bad day without him being in rebellion. Absolutely. You know, everything is treated as a spiritual issue Mm -hmm. when it may just be they don't feel good Mm -hmm. you know you go back all the way to you know the it's it's like the concept of original sin gets blown so out of proportion Mm -hmm. and to where it is so common to hear infants being used as examples of sinners mm-hmm. you know an infant crying means they were born into sin yes they're trying to control your life you know Vody Balcom who you know is kind of a huge guy in the homeschooling community calls them vipers and diapers mm-hmm. and imagine I have read read so much of of the rhetoric that comes from him and so many like him and it's like of course if when you are are preached at and taught that you have to see your child as this horrible sinner that has to be transformed and molded and and requiring them to constantly Submit to authority. Oh, the first time obedience done cheerfully, because if they don't obey their their parents, they won't obey God. So disobeying their parents is disobeying God. And it's exhausting. And I don't see how anybody can keep up that level of parenting. And it's, it all, it becomes all about performance and not about relationship. When parenting is about relationship. Mm-hmm. Or at um, least that would be nice. If it were. You know, but one of the things I realized is, you know, when my, my daughter was not speaking to us at one point, it, I think it was before we found out she was pregnant, but she just kind of had shut everybody out. We didn't understand. We didn't know what was going on. To this day, she doesn't understand what was going on. But I just remember thinking, I don't care what she's doing. I just want a relationship with her. Mm-hmm. And it's like, maybe that's what God's like. 
Mm. We're not taught that. We're we're taught that we clean ourselves up before we can come to God. But you know, the the father ran to the prodigal son. Mm -hmm. He ran, you know. So it's just it's a posture that is, I think, born out of fear and a need to control and a belief that you can control and a belief that you are an engineer Mm -hmm. and you're not. Right. And I think that it, it, in order to succeed, quote unquote, succeed in this, in this type of parenting, you either a get lucky, b you're a sociopath. And so you have the stamina to maintain it or, or, or c you live in denial and you kind of pretend and that's 100% my family was just any problems like you just pretend they don't exist and you pretend that they are not there and the struggle you know and I just think of like you know from the outside all of my siblings and I like we're successful and you know and we're you know financially stable and all of these things but then you know, nobody talks about the, the suicidal ideation or the suicide attempts or the sexual abuse or the, you know, financial struggles that were, you know, hidden away and relationship difficulties that we pretend aren't happening. And it's just this, you know, blanket denial happening. And that, and I feel like that's pretty common in these Christian spheres as just Mm -hmm. like, we're going to highlight the successes and we're just going to pretend like these difficulties and these, Mm -hmm. these difficult outcomes that we were told were not going to happen are just not happening. We're just going to pretend they, they don't, they don't exist. You may already know this, but the Uncertain Podcast is the affiliate podcast of Tears of Eden, a nonprofit that serves as a community and resource for survivors of spiritual abuse. This podcast and the work of Tears of Eden are supported by donations from generous listeners like you. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider giving a donation by using the link in the show notes or visiting tearsofeden.org support. You can also support the podcast by rating and leaving a review and sharing on social media. If you're not already following us, please follow us on Facebook at Tears of Eden and Instagram at Uncertain Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. And now back to the show. Why do you think parents are drawn to spiritually abusive forms of parenting? I think, well, I think the culture is so pervasive. It is really hard, depending upon what environment you're in, it can be really hard to find people who aren't so heavily influenced by some of of that of those types of teaching. If you're in the church yes. or anywhere. Yes, if you're in the, if you're in the church, and I think it is especially people who grew up like your dad in an abusive home, they want to do it so differently, and they come upon somebody that gives them a formula and a guarantee, mm-hmm. you know, and and you do, and I re- I remember the horror of of believing, realizing that I I believed I could do a better job than my parents did. Mm -hmm. And then when things were really rough, thinking, oh my gosh, how foolish was I? So I think there's a huge draw to that. I think some people also, there seem to be two different 
two different brands is the the people who grew up in a lot of chaos and abuse and they want something that's going to give structure and order and a guarantee and a sense of control, you know, especially if they've never had had control, never felt control. And then other people, this is all they've ever known. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I, I recently been reading a book that gives excerpts from parenting resources from farther back that are just as horrible, mm-hmm. you know, so this isn't anything that's new. I, like we mentioned in the last podcast, I do think the whole culture wars thing caused this to explode. Yeah. Because all of a sudden there's such a strong line between them and us. So anything having to do with encouraging your your child's self-esteem is considered secular humanist. But over here, you know, you have to make sure that they know that they're a sinner in the sight of God at all times, you know, and you end up with this weird dichotomy of one or the other. And, and, because there it, there does become such a separation if you're in a church you almost have to pick am i going to am i going to parent like the like the secular people over here or i'm or am i going to follow the the guidelines of of the people in the church with me and some some churches the peer pressure to parent a certain way is horrible yeah. um, I, you know, I it was certainly that way when the Ezo stuff, you know, hit the ground back in the 90s. I knew a woman who was basically told she couldn't bring her baby into the church nursery unless her baby was on the Ezo schedule. Oh, my gosh. Talk about peer pressure. Yeah. Mm. How did you navigate the the season when things were kind of falling apart in your family and with the contrast of like these promises that this that this parenting would deliver this this perfect outcome what did you do during that season to help you survive I I cried I cried a lot I cried a whole lot Mm -hmm. I would sit in the car during church and cry because I didn't feel like I could even go in the door and be with all of these holy people who had done it right. Mm. I thought that God hated me because I had failed as a mother. I, at times, at times throughout parenthood, I will be totally honest because I, I can't be otherwise. I thought it would be better off if I died so that my husband could marry a woman who could do it right and be a be a good mother and instead of the the failure that I was mm-hmm. you know it came in a very hard time in my life also just this was in my late 40s i was having a lot of hormonal changes and it was just a a a perfect storm for me so it was a horrible point in time and to and to hear people you know, tell saying, well, I told my daughter that your daughter is in rebellion. And, you know, when somebody wanted to have a, a baby shower for our daughter and 
woman in the church said, well, we don't know if that's right, because then it might look like we're endorsing her sin. And, mm-hmm. you know, I just, I lost it. And I think it that was really at the point where I'm like, screw this. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sorry, but I cannot go along with this anymore. I was I was so angry at the legalism and the judgment that was coming down on our daughter and on us. And it's like, forget it. I am going to love my kids to the best of my ability and trust that God will show me what needs to happen. And I'm just not going to listen to these people anymore. Mm hmm. And I I would say that, you know, that was that was a large part of my beginning to deconstruct was it's way more toxic on the inside. Yeah. You know, we had been taught we had been taught, oh, how bad the culture is out there, you know, pushing, pushing Christian worldview on the kids and and. It's like, yeah, things things are just as screwed up inside. And I just had to pull back and, you know, I liken it to cleaning out my purse. You have to dump everything out and start putting back the, the in the essentials. And that's kind of where I've been. But it was, I mean, I was a very, very broken person for a long time. And I mean, and it's been a, it's been a hard road. But I can interact with people now that I I never would have really understood where they were coming from before. Right. You know, so I'm I'm thankful for that. Right. What sort of encouragement would you offer to a parent, current parent who is raising young kids and they identify as Christian? and they have a desire for their kids to follow their values, what what sort of encouragement would you offer them? I would say the best thing you can do for your kids is to have a strong, healthy attachment with them. One of, one of the things that, that really got me thinking about how so much of, of Christian parenting is abusive is just reading about things like attachment. Mm-hmm. theory. And Crispin Mayfield wrote a book called Attached to God, and he kind of goes, comes at everything from an attachment basis and how the t- the style of attachment we had to our parents often translates into our att- the way we, our in- relationship with God, basically. It's kind of the same thing. And, you know, when he's talking about the things that promote healthy attachment versus the things that promote unhealthy attachment. And I'm like, everything, everything that, that gets pushed in from these, from these, the mouths of these experts is stuff that creates unhealthy attachment, the making your baby cry it out, the, you know, forcing them to be cheerful and quit crying that, you know, thing after thing after thing, you know, expecting so much of a kid that it developmentally just not appropriate. And I would say the best thing a parent can do is learn 
child development so that they know what is and is not developmentally appropriate for them. Right. Right. You're, you're, and, and to understand that when your baby's crying, they're not trying to manipulate you. They're communicating with you. And then, you know, a lot of what I've learned, too, about how the brain works and when the, you know, when the emotions are raging, you you got no, your prefrontal cortex is not doing anything. Down and have this rational conversation trying to teach a four year old theology when they're falling apart, Mm -hmm. you know, understand that, understand them as kids. And, and, and then the most important thing is having a solid and safe relationship with them. They might not make the best decisions at times, but again, you're, you're, you're a guide. You're not an engineer. You're not a puppeteer. You're a guide. So I heard understand attachment, understand developmental stages so that you know what's developmentally appropriate behavior, have a relationship with them, communicate with them. What I didn't hear was read them scripture, make them memorize scripture, homeschool them, or, you know, put them in public school or make sure they're in church every Sunday or anything like that. And I would say that if for someone who identifies as Christian, who does desire for their children to follow their values, when you have a relationship and there is a relationship of trust, that idea that they're going to want to emulate someone that they trust is a lot higher, not guaranteed, not guaranteed at all, but, but is a lot higher. And I just think of like how off-putting it can be for someone to have this very rigid fear-based environment. And, and for you, when you as an adult was, were experiencing this rigid fear-based judgmental environment, you were like, I'm out. I don't want to do this anymore which is exact same reaction that a lot of, of kids have mm-hmm. is like, I'm done with this. I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. So that's a, it's, it's actually having the, the reverse outcome or, or there's like many of my peers have just embraced it and bought it hook, line and sinker and are just repeating it and, 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 and doing, and doing the same things again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's beautiful. I remember being like a teenager and math was always like a, a struggle, a struggle for me. And I remember one time just like breaking down in the middle of like math homework and just sobbing and being very frustrated that I couldn't figure out. I don't even know what it was, algebra, whatever. And just being just so frustrated and crying because I was so frustrated. And my, my dad comes in and he starts critiquing my character and was like the whole reason why we wanted to homeschool was before the character of our children and developing character and having you know a godly response to trials and yada 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 and I just think of that moment and and it was a wonderful time for a parent to teach emotional regulation and just like 
hey, let's take a break. Let's, you know, let's, let's go for a walk. Let's have some compassion for ourselves and for difficult things. And then, okay, then I'm going to join you and we're going to, you know, you know, approach this again and see if we can figure it out. I'm here with you in this hard thing and your emotions are not scaring me away. Yeah. And, and so just to kind of like build on what you said of just like a parent, it's important for the parent to also just be doing their own work and, and having their own emotional regulation. So they have something to impart. Yes. And I, I will go, I will say that the absolute best thing you can do for your children is to get emotionally healthy yourself. Mm -hmm. I would echo that. Absolutely. It's, it's gonna, it's gonna come back. It's, it, all the stuff going on is gonna come out somehow. And the more you can work on yourself and get emotionally healthy, the more freed up you are to love and guide and raise your kids without their performance becoming a reflection of you, Mm -hmm. you know? I do think back to the relational thing, there's no way that kids don't see God as, as some form of their parents. And so if your parent is harsh, you're going to see God as harsh. I mean, every so often I meet somebody who's like, oh, but I always knew that God was different than my dad who beat me. And I was like, wow, that's impressive because that's very hard. That's very hard to do. Mm -hmm. But the the more you can be a safe, caring, loving person for them, the more they'll realize, well, maybe that's what God is like, which means if if you're wanting them to have a relationship with God, then hopefully that means they won't run away from God because they know that God is a safe person too. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep building building a trusting relationship that starts with a trusting relationship with with yourself and i think that that's where that teaching can be damaging both to parents and to to kids when you start with that as you called it the original sin narrative and the in the start with i am a sinner when a parent is doing that then they're they're starting with anxiety and fear mm-hmm. and yes. and then that then translates to an anxious and fearful form of parenting and to do that work and to make sure that we're healthy first will, I think, hopefully prevent maybe being susceptible to this, this very harmful teaching that preys on traumatized parents and and you know unfortunately the rigid strict parenting and the distrust of psychology tend to go hand in hand so you're not likely going to have parents who have been seeking ways to become healthier individuals in in that in those 
cases. You know, it tends to be a a world that is very shame-based, very performance-oriented, very uncomfortable with emotion. Having come out of, well, come out of, I... The spaces that I've been in for 35 years or so were all conservative, evangelical, reformed spaces. And this is a world that is heavy on training them up in the catechism and scripture memory and and having a biblical worldview. That that became the, the big thing when my kids were growing up was the biblical worldview and the problem is none of those are a relationship mm-hmm. and none of those engage the emotion. Mm-hmm. And one of the most quoted things, I keep sending this, this passage to, to people. It's kind of funny to, for this to come up in parenting, but, but these are the people oftentimes that are doing the parenting that we're talking about. This this describes so many of the parents that I know who get sucked into these systems. Sometimes it's easier to trust a system of beliefs than a living God who personally engages with us. With a shutdown attachment style, you try to contain the truth of God in a set of doctrinal statements because if we can figure out the left brain mechanics of it all, we can avoid uncomfortable emotions. But connection with God requires engaging beyond a scientific approach to theology. We end up trusting a dogma, not a divine parent. In shutdown spirituality, theological systems become the oven mitts with which to hold the red hot thread of human experience, full of emotions and heartache in an attempt to avoid being burned. We believe that if we learn enough information, emotions can be vanquished and conquered. So we search for a type of dogma in a hope that it will solve the swirling sea of feelings we struggle with, seeking out a concrete way of making sense of life. Some seek theological truths, others bank on political ideologies that help us create meaning of the struggles we experience and see in the world. We focus on the way things should be and learn a practical system of rules for getting there. To suppress our uncomfortable emotions, shutdown attachment disengages the heart and takes shelter in the head. We think if we hold all the right answers, we can calm down. Many approach the Bible this way as a book of facts and rules that if followed closely will prevent pain. If we follow biblical principles for financial stewardship, we won't have to experience the stress of economic hardships. If we raise our kids God's way, then we won't have to face the pain of children who rebel. If we remember the promise of the resurrection, we won't have to grieve like those who have no hope, which has often been taken to mean we don't grieve at all. If the Bible explains the cause and effect of everything, then we have a way of to grasp a sense of control and understanding that will rescue us from the tumultuous experience of being human in a broken world. This approach to faith shuts down the uncomfortable experience of being human, including all its difficult questions and the inevitable emotions that flow from them. Oof. 
and hearing that through the lens of parenting, so applicable. That is, that's from Crispin Mayfield's Attached to God. And that, that's what these systems do. That's what these rules do. They, they make a system of you, you know, machine, you know, vending machine sort of parenting. You put this in, you get this out. You never have to deal with the messiness of life. That's a, that's a, that's a quotable right there, Jenny. You never have to vending machine. You never have to deal with the messiness of life. So as we wind down, wrap up, you mentioned attached to God. Are there any other resources that just come to mind that you think you would suggest to a parent? I just, one of the best books I read this year was Trauma in the Pews by Janine McConaughey. And and your review of that is up on the Tears of Eden. Oh, that's right. I will but put it I think you know. as a parent, that is, would be really helpful to read just in terms of, of understanding how traumatic experiences can impact somebody's relationship with God. Mm-hmm. because that that way you can be more gentle with your child yeah and gentle with yourself and gentle with yourself other than that I don't read parenting books it's still too yeah. traumatizing for me I tend to read more books that that are books toward healing and it's it's in those healing books that I've discovered how damaging this parenting mindset is because I'm like Oh, but they told us to do that. And they said this, and they said this. And, you know, it's like the whole thing about breaking the will. Mm -hmm. I was listening to a podcast that had Bob and Polly Hamp on it. And he was talking about the importance of agency and having a will. Yeah. In a child. And what did everybody hear? You've got to break the will. And I'm 59 years old and I'm just now realizing that I have agency. I mean, it is so uncommon for me to even feel like I have the power to do anything. Mm. You know, I mean, part of that's just my temperament. Mm -hmm. But you think about kids that are just they their will is is constantly being broken. I mean, you're just you're going to have a very broken, shut down child. Mm-hmm. Or one that just, you know, bucks the system and just, I can't do this. There is a book that I do want to read. I think it's by Alice Miller. And she goes back and talks about the, the very rigid authority parenting style was really what was predominant in Germany pre for the decades going up to World War II. And that was a very traumatized generation. And that led to them following the authority, even when the authority was doing horrific things. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that it was a very authoritarian form of parenting because I've also read, because that was the generation in the aftermath of World War One, very traumatized generation. And so there was a lot of domestic violence and a domestic abuse happening. Okay, yeah. And so then 
the children grow up grew up desensitized to violence and so they wow. just kind of yeah. accepted yeah so that and it makes sense that those two things would go hand in hand because right. if you have traumatized parents who are not regulated and 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 not and 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 parenting out of their trauma that they would also be very rigid and authoritarian and it was the perfect storm for this to happen yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oof, that's fascinating. Well, is there anything else that you would like to say as we wrap up our conversation? I can't think of I can't think of anything <laughs> right now. I think my brain is is effectively fried at this point, but Well, you did amazing, Jenny. This was wonderful, beautiful. So grateful for you. So grateful for you having this conversation. Well, I would love to, you know, I would love to talk to other people about it. And, you know, I mean, I'm a little nervous because I know people who, if they heard this would be really pissed off. Of course, you know, there are identities in it. And, yeah. and I think, I know that I, I heard a few parents who had listened to your previous episode that I will also link in the show notes and I who said that it was exactly what they needed because they were already kind of on that track right to have someone further down the road saying yeah this was harmful and it's really encouraging and parenting is hard no matter what and then you add add the shame of this you know one of the things that I I will throw out there is you know there's especially if you grew up in a not so great environment, there's all this stuff about being a cycle breaker. Mm -hmm. And one of the realities that I've learned is I don't, I wouldn't call it so much a cycle breaker is it's more like there's been this freight train barreling down through the generations and you're the one that pulls the brake. The thing is Unfortunately, freight trains don't stop the minute you pull the brake. Mm-hmm. And so there is still damage to the next generation. Absolutely. And I think that has been one of the hardest things personally for me is wanting so badly to do it right and do it right in in all the best ways And realizing there were so many situations where because of my own trauma, I, I, I had no idea where to go, no idea what to do, no idea how to handle this situation. I knew I didn't want to do it the way it would have been handled in my family growing up. I knew I didn't want to do it the way the, the, the rigid parenting gurus would have said but I wasn't really sure what to do. And then, you know, you know, when you have trauma, you're, you can get emotionally exhausted and sometimes you don't have it in you. Mm-hmm. And that's where I love the whole concept of rupture and repair. Mm-hmm. That that's where you go back and repair and say, I am so sorry. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what to do in this situation. Yeah. You know? And, and that's, that's really where I've been a lot in the past few years is just saying, I, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't know how to handle this. You know, maybe I should have been more strict. Maybe I should have been more lenient. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Maybe I should engaged more. 
that quote that I heard the other day, it's like, you're not an engineer. Yeah. And, and some, somebody might have been given a whole house full of kids with, you know, genetically flawless and then others have kids that struggle with all sorts of things. And that is not on the parents. Absolutely. Hear that as we, as we wrap up, it's not on you. It is not on you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Uncertain is the affiliate podcast of Tears of Eden, a community and resource for survivors of spiritual abuse. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider making a donation by visiting tearsofeden.org support. All donations are tax deductible. Intro music featured in this episode is from the band Green Ashes. Before you go, please take a moment to like, subscribe, or leave a review, and don't forget to share this podcast show with everyone you know. I'm Katherine Spearing, and I'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.